think that all of us grew closer together and just knowing that we can all come together and worship the Lord is just an amazing feeling. And just it's just so good knowing that everybody's family here and we don't have to, I guess, feel insecure about anything because we have each other. And this week has just been really good to all of us. It was a great week. The food was great. Everybody that was around us was just amazing. It was just an amazing week. And I thank everybody. I thank the church for allowing me to go to the camp and learn more and grow more spiritually with God. And I guess that wraps it up. We actually went with two other churches. A lot of you may know this. Christ the King, uh, our church plant from Carrollton went, and their leaders, and then First Baptist Franklin went as well. So we had a total of probably 70, 65. So, and there's several students that went with Glenlock that are not here this morning. I, I can't thank our church enough for your love, your prayers, and your support. And we need to continue to pour into our, our young people, our students, and our children. And you're already doing that, so we are very, very grateful. Thank you. We're going to worship together and sing a song we sang a lot this week. Um, it's called Build My Life.
gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, right now I'm lifting up these words to you, God, that we will build a firm foundation in you, God, and that we will trust in you alone, God, because the power of you alone is enough to allow us to never truly be shaken, God. Lord, this morning, may we be centered on you. May we be centered on the cross and on the gift of salvation, God, and Lord, just how great your love is, Lord. Lord, you are so holy, and your name is above any other, God. And Lord, just as these students got poured into all week, God, just the importance of the cross and our need for the cross and our cause for the cross and, and our response to the cross, God. Lord, I pray in the same way we'll pour into our congregation, God, because, Lord, as one of my youth prayed this this week in our small group, God, Lord, may we be a church that doesn't just pour into one another, but, God, that we have a trust and a foundation in one another that we can also pour out to one another, God, so that we're leading each other to you, that we're keeping each other centered on you, God. Lord, that's our prayer this morning, Lord, as you move in this service. Open our hearts and clear our minds for this message, Lord. Speak through Pastor Neil, God. Lord, we just love you and praise you and thank you so much. In Jesus' name I pray. I didn't tell Neil I was going to do this, but I felt like the Lord just had one more thing that I needed to say before we, we moved on from the camp recap. But I've come home from a lot of camps from the time I was very little till now. And, and this week at camp, we had many students accept Christ, maybe for the first time, even some just to rededicate or to, to refocus their lives on him. And so if, you're, if your child ever needed you to be their discipleship leader at home, or if, if, if somebody in this congregation ever need, you ever felt the need to pray for them specifically, this is the week. This is the week to start that because we come home from camp and we have all this built up spiritual just, just oneness with God and oneness with each other and we have to go home. And we have to get back into our, our old routines and go back to work and go back to school and all these things. So I just want to tell you that if you, if you feel the need to pray for our students, if you feel the need to invest in our students to, to be there for them, more than you ever have, that needs, that, that, this is the week to start that because this is the week that they will need it the most. And so I just wanted to, to let y'all know that. That just felt like the Lord was putting that on my heart this morning. I know that you, we have people who pray. I know that we have people who, who invest, but pray more. Invest more because they, they need it. It's not, it is not easy to be a Christian as a teenager in America right now. It's not. It's maybe the hardest thing that you can do, but it's the most fulfilling. So that's just all I had. Go Amen. Ahead. I was going to let him preach and take the whole service. <laughs> Thank you, Bryce. And words very well spoken. And uh, hopefully, certainly, we will all continue to pray for our students, our children. By the way, I, I guess we need to release the children for Children's Church. Thank you, Miss Donna, Miss Erica, for reminding us of that. Grateful for your ministry as well. Need to start early, uh, long before they become teenagers uh, to invest in the lives of our students. The rest of us, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. We are working our way through 1 Peter as Peter addresses the persecuted church in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And so week after week, we've looked at how Peter really is calling them to live a Christ-centered life. So borrowing from our youth theme, which was cross-centered, the cross-centered life is part of a larger picture of living a Christ-centered life. So there are times when Peter emphasizes 
the cross and the suffering and the submission and the humility of Jesus. Then there are other times when Peter takes us to the authority of Christ and the dominion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. So we need a balanced perspective of who Jesus is and what he's done. The cross does that for us. The resurrection does that for us. This week at camp did that for me and our students. It's like the, the greenhouse effect where you get to spend a week. Beautiful Laguna Beach, Florida. <laughs> with students and adults and we're all you know, hearing the same messages and reading the same quiet times and sleeping in the same cabins. Of course, for an adult like me at 49, I ain't what I used to be. My voice also is feeling the effects, and I think I know why. No, I did not yell at the students this week. But I did sleep in the cabin in the bunk. Uh, your old Rock Ridge, if any of you have ever been to Rock Ridge, like the, the old Miss Pat, Miss Pat knows them, the old Rock Ridge bunks down there. And First night, we froze to death. I got up first thing uh, Tuesday morning. I checked the thermostat. It was on 61. Kirk Richardson had icicles in his beard. <laughs> That's how cold it got Monday night. Even colder the next night. So I go to my van. I get a couple more blankets. I get up the next day and check the, check the thermostat, and it was on 58. Long story short, the last morning, I had warned them the rest of the week. Somebody's getting up in the middle of the night and messing with the thermostat. This has got to stop. <laughs> I mean, how the camp survives teenagers running the thermostat. It was on 48. <laughs> Y'all, I'm not lying. Look, it, I, I found the culprit, and he does not attend Glenlock Baptist Church. But I know his parents well, <laughs> and I'm going to talk to them this week and ask them, how high is your power bill? If it seems too high this summer, I think I know why. <laughs> so anyway, I, I think uh, with Bryson, what a great week. And, and yeah, listen a little carefully, because as you can tell, my voice is strained, because the, the days were extremely hot and the nights were extremely cold. Did I ever read 1 Peter? I did not. 1 Peter chapter 3. This is really why we're here, is to speak and teach and preach about Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to pick up with verse 13 just for context. We're going to read the rest of the chapter through verse 22. Please stay with me and pray with me. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. But sanctify or set apart Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that's in you. Yet do this, he says, with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame it's better if god should will it so that you suffer for doing what's right rather than for doing what is wrong 
Why, Peter? Why should we live this way? Why should we respond to suffering and difficulty this way? Why, when this goes against my human nature and it goes against the people and the culture around me, why should we live like this? Verse 18. For Christ also died for us, for sins. Once for all, the just for the unjust. You're going through unjust suffering, unfair difficulty, look at Christ, look to Christ. And he says, in order that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, ah, but made alive in the spirit, that's the resurrection. In which also he went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting. In the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, look at this, after angels and authorities and powers had been subjected to him. Peter wants us to see that in our suffering and in our difficulty, Christ truly is above all. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time this morning already we have been singing and worshiping because only you are worthy of, our, of all the praise that we could ever bring and all the love we could ever give. Help us, Father, to grasp this even clearer in an even stronger way this morning from what Peter shares with us. He knew this by experience personally. He knew it by revelation of the Holy Spirit. He knew it because he was an eyewitness to both the sufferings of Christ and the humility of Christ the submissive nature and obedience of Christ, but he was also witness to the glory and the dominion and the power and the lordship. Father, no wonder he tells us to put Christ above all in our hearts. May we continue to do that and grow to do that, Father, through time in your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, Christ is Lord of all. Peter wants us to know that. As I said in my prayer, he knew this both by experience and by the revelation that God had given him through the Holy Spirit of the crucifixion of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. In weeks past, we have said, be humble, be submissive, do not return evil for evil or insult for insult, but trust God and obey him even if it requires suffering momentarily under injustice. Jesus is the reason that we respond the way Peter calls us to. So what I want to do this morning with the time we have left, I want to point out what Peter emphasizes about Jesus. He emphasizes his lordship, his power, his dominion over all. And then once we understand that he is authoritative over everything, that will empower us to be obedient and humble and trusting and hopeful. All the things that Peter said 
in the weeks prior to today. So all this builds on one another. First, I want to point out that Christ is Lord of reconciliation. That's why we need to put him as king over our hearts. In other words, we need to be right with God, and only Jesus can put us there. My greatest need and your greatest need is to be brought to God, because apart from him, we do not have life. Verse 18 clearly says this. This is where we concluded last week's message. This is where I want to begin this week's message. And it centers on the atoning work of Christ and his resurrection. Look, he died for sins because sin is what alienated us from God. He did this once for all. It's finished. It's final. It's done. And you and I are reconciled to God not by looking to ourselves or our works but by trusting in Christ and His finished work. He died for the unjust. He was the just, substituting Himself for the unjust, in order that He might, look look what Peter says, bring us to God. That's reconciliation, to be brought to God. Not just forgiven, but to be brought to Him and placed in a right relationship with Him. Did any of you see this week where off the coast of St. Simons, off the coast of Georgia, there were 50, 50 pilot whales that were stranded on shore? And they would have died had, did you see the group of people frantically? Now that'd be a cool vacation. What did you do this vacation? Oh, I rescued a whale. (laughs) That tops my moose story last week, doesn't it? I rescued a whale. I mean, apart from someone intervening, in this case a group of vacationers intervening, and literally picking these whales up and carrying them back, they lack, those whales lack the capacity to save themselves. Well, the good news of the gospel is that though you and I lack the capacity to get to God, He came down to us. That's the good news. The just, righteous, holy one dies for us in our sins. I love that phrase, to to bring us to God. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And only he could do this. And Peter wants the suffering Christian to know. He's reconciled you to God. You have peace with him. And and if you have that, you, you truly do have all you need. He's also the Lord of proclamation. It says in verse 19 that Jesus preached. He proclaimed something. Now this is one of the, let's just be honest and real here. This is a really weird passage. It's strange. And I read commentaries and Bible study notes this week. And and I'll be honest with you. There are very few people who are willing to say, I know that it means this and all the other options are wrong. But I think what it means, my personal opinion, is that Jesus preached his victory and his dominion over fallen angels. Read Genesis 6. I know we don't have time to get into it now. But there were fallen angels who came down to earth, sinned on earth, and that was the climax of the fallenness and the depravity of humanity that God basically said, enough's enough. And then he judged the earth through the flood and rescued Noah. So somehow Jesus transcends 
time and space and all the limits of humanity and went into prison and preached, went into to wherever these spirits were held captive and Jesus preached his victory, I guess maybe taunting in, in, to a degree. I don't know. I'm just trying to understand this myself. Maybe taunting them because they didn't have omniscience. These fallen angels in prison since before the flood may have thought, well, judgment has come and we don't know what's happening next. We don't know what the rest of the story is going to bring. It's kind of like I told y'all a lot before. Florida beat Georgia so many times in football in the 90s. Y'all know I love Georgia football. I dreamed that I died. (laughs) And I came back to life. And I had been dead for a year. And I came back to life, and whoever was standing over me when I was resurrected from the dead, the first thing I asked them was this. Did Georgia beat Florida last year? (laughs) Now, I probably shouldn't tell y'all how desperate I was in the 90s for a victory over Florida. But the ability to taunt your enemies. These are fallen angels who rebelled against God. And Jesus went and proclaimed to them the only message that I have and the only message that you have. And I don't know what the response was and I I really don't understand the intent. But I think Peter is saying that you have the good news that is more powerful and more victorious than any voice or mouth out there Jesus proclaimed it. You have that authority. You proclaim it too. So I really just have one sermon. Now the text is different every week. But it's this. Christ has died. Christ is risen. And Christ will come again. He is the Lord of proclamation. It is a saving message. And it is a condemning message. And I guarantee you whatever... Whatever response, that the, the message Christ preached to those angels in prison, it did its work. It did its work. It always saves those who respond in faith, and it condemns those who rebel against it. I've got to move on. He's the Lord of reconciliation. He's the Lord of proclamation. He is also the Lord of salvation. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their what? Sins. The name Jesus means Yahweh is salvation. Where did he get this, Pastor Neil? In verse 19, it says that Jesus went and made proclamation to spirits now in prison. They were once, excuse me, verse 20, who once were disobedient. Boy, God is a patient God, isn't he? And he reached his, the end of his patience and he brought the flood. Now, the flood was a flood of judgment. Remember that. But there were a few who were saved from that judgment. How were they saved? We've heard this story all our lives. How was Noah and his, Peter points it out, just a few. The mass of humanity judged and condemned. They drowned in the flood. But Noah and the eight, they were saved by what? By entering into the ark by faith. 
Let me go ahead and jump to the point. Peter's making a connection between you and I being saved through judgment by entering into Christ. God pictured salvation in Christ through the judgment event of Noah's flood. The real takeaway from Noah's flood is not just that God will take care of me during the storm of life. The real takeaway is that judgment is coming because humanity has sinned against God and the only way of safety and escape is to enter into the salvation that God provides and God has provided salvation in who? Christ alone. By grace you are saved. Saved from what? Well, ultimately saved from God and His judgment. So Noah's story helps me picture that I enter into Christ by faith and He covers me. I was thinking this week about that song, I'll go with Him through the garden. I'll go with Him through the garden. I'll go with Him through the judgment. I'll go with Him through the judgment. And He will give me grace and glory. The title of the song, Where He Leads Me I Will Follow. Well, how are sinners like you and me going to be led through the judgment? Well, the way Noah and his family was led through the waters. By entering into Christ. Forsaking all, I trust him. Faith. He's the Lord of salvation and he saves once and for all. Not only that, but my fourth point is he's the Lord of purification. Where do you get this? He says something in verse 21 that sounds troubling at first. But he's quick to correct it, all right? He says, corresponding to the water of Noah in verse 20. You see how he makes this connection? Peter's a really wise guy. That's the understatement of the sermon, but, but follow what he said. Corresponding to Noah's water, baptism now saves you. Whoa, preacher, baptism doesn't save. You know, what about the thief on the cross, right? Peter's not going anywhere near baptism as salvation, but what he's saying, look, verse 21. No, 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 no. Not the removal of dirt from the skin outwardly. It's not like you can wash all of it off physically. He's talking about a spiritual work in the heart. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but look at this. An appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ. You mean when I sin and my conscience torments me that I can also live with the fact that I'm a sinner but at the same time live with a pure conscience and a healthy conscience and a forgiven conscience because I've appealed to God for something? I'm saying absolutely. He's the Lord of purification. And let me just nail this down quickly as well. What that means is the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses you from all your sin, past, present, and future. So even though you and I have this thermostat, for lack of a better illustration, <laughs> that guides me when I've done right and guides me when I've done wrong, I can live with a good, healthy, clear conscience knowing that Christ has fully paid my sin debt. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus and His blood cleanses you from a bad conscience to be able to serve the living God. In other words, I can be set free to preach even though I've sinned all week. Because of my righteousness 
Am I deserve? No, but because of, because of Christ. Let the blood of Christ cleanse your conscience based on His finished work. Baptism symbolizes this. I'm united with Christ, what? Through His death and His resurrection. Baptism symbolizes that. It symbolizes my entry into Christ and His work. He died for my sins. He was raised for my justification. So Peter ties Noah and the flood to baptism, to Jesus and salvation. Not a physical work, but to have a new heart and a cleansed heart and a forgiving, a forgiven heart. So your conscience is there by God. It's there to correct you and discipline you and give you discernment on right and wrong. And His Word helps do that. But do not let Satan bind you and tie you down because you still have sin in your life. You tell Satan to go back to hell where he belongs. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, upward we look and see him there who made an end of all our sins. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Why? For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. He is the Lord of purification. Then last of all, He's the Lord of exaltation. I love verse 22, and I think that's the, that's the climax of the text. Listen, these Christians were under evil authorities. And slander from other people who thought they were weird and hokey and bogus. But what does verse 22 say? Hey, the one who died is now at the right hand of God. There is no position of authority in the universe that's higher than the right hand of God. Jesus is there. He's exalted. He has ascended into heaven and he is exalted high. And then it says he has subdued. Jesus has already subdued. All his enemies have had to say mercy. Or for some of you, all of his enemies have had to say calf rope. You may know what calf rope means. I've lost you. <laughs> Christ is at the right hand of God. He's gone into heaven. Angels, authorities, powers, wherever strong or evil or unjust they may be, they have been subjected to him. So if you're on the right side with Jesus, greater is he who's in you than he's in the world. No power of hell nor scheme of man could ever what? Pluck me from his hand. For I am his and he is mine. And here in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, what? I stand. Because he lives, we shall live. He is exalted high, high above all. Whether it's the world, Paul says, or death, or sin, or angels, or powers, or, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, my sermon is that Jesus is Lord. He is worthy of you and I placing him first in our hearts. Peter says it. He's the Lord of reconciliation. He's the Lord of proclamation and salvation and purification and, and exaltation. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Well, now let's have a little small group time following the message. 
with all the girls and guys and ladies and gentlemen who happen to be. Oh, I got you now. You're in my small group. <laughs> Let's pretend that this is my small group and I've just preached the message and you're the kids in front of cabin 38 at the table and it's, you know, with a half dim light where we can barely see our Bibles and and you're one of the guys like Grayson and Blake and the guys who are around me uh, this week and Bo Langley and, and you say to me, okay preacher Neil, I, you're, you're, you're preaching way up here over my head just tell me what, what do I need to do so what, right? you ever leave here wondering I, I, you know, he said a lot of stuff about Jesus but so what, right? So what do we do? I'm going to close by giving us three responses. I'm not going to take long with this, but I am going to illustrate all three. So bear with me. I froze all week for this, so I'm going to finish it, okay? (laughs) The first response that we should have to all that Peter has said about the Lordship of Christ, number one... This means for you, you ought to surrender, wave the white flag to his service. You are not Lord of your life. Your life is not your own. And what I mean by that is that when he calls you to do something, no Lord can't be the answer. So one night they asked me this, and this is the million dollar question probably for a lot of our youth. Pastor Neil, how in the world did you become a preacher? Because <laughs> Lord knows none of us want to become a preacher. <laughs> but we see you doing it, and you, you seem like you enjoy it. How does that happen? So one night, the guys posed me that question, and I'll be honest with you, I don't really think about that anymore. Because I've been doing this so long, it's such a part of who I am, that I forgot the tension and the battle that I was in as to whether or not I was going to run my life or I was going to surrender to what he wanted out of my life. And so I went back to my time as a teenager. And I told Bryson this this morning. When I was 14 years old, I didn't get on the youth camp bus. I didn't want to be with those people. I didn't want to be asked to pray. I didn't want to be asked to share my testimony. I didn't want to be associated with them. I was scared of what they might do to me at youth camp. I'll be honest. I forgot about all that. It's been so long. So the kids asking me this kind of drew some of this back out. So I thought back, how did God call me into the ministry? It certainly what I didn't have it, I didn't have this on my radar, I assure you that. But I messed up, I made a mistake. I missed a youth meeting. And at that youth meeting, they planned a youth service, and they gave a job to everybody. And I wasn't there, and Brian Owensby calls me up and says, they've elected you to be the one, the one to preach the sermon. I said, you got to be kidding me. I'll pray about it. Well, I'd grown up in church. My grandfather was a minister. I didn't know much, but I knew the gospel. I wrestled with it. Now, I'd said no to the Lord before. I'd said yes to some of the wrong things. But like Barney Five, I knew this was big. (laughs) All right, I knew. 
And I knew, I said, I, I, I called him out, I said, I, I can't say no. I wanted to. So I preached my sermon, I was done with it, I said, whew, thank you, I'm finished, I can go on with my life. Then a local pastor called up and says, I heard you preached over at First Baptist. I said, oh boy, this is good. I thought this is awful. I'm just being real with you. I said, I'll pray about it. I'm not going to regurgitate the next five years, but that's about how long it took. Here's what I, I realized I had done. I had said yes to the next time. I'll say yes to the next time. Then I said yes to the next time. Then I said yes to the next time. And before long, I was saying yes for life. I think sometimes we try to get it all figured out. And This is what I heard someone say. What you need to do, this is what you need to do. You do not know the future. And I know now why God called me into the ministry. But I could not see it then. And I fought it with all my heart. It's a good thing he called me young because he knew he needed the, my whole life to, to, to get me to grasp it. Do the next right thing. Now, I don't know what you're in, but you need to do the next right thing. Whatever that is for you. Well, how do you know what's right? What do the scriptures say? You do the next right thing, and then you wake up and you do the next right thing, and then you do the next right thing, and before you know it, you've strung along a week of cross-centered living. i got to move on. Surrender to His service. I, I know God's not calling all of us to preach. That, that wouldn't be healthy. It wouldn't be good. But He's calling you to do something, right? All right, the, the second response is to rejoice in His love. <laughs> Surrender to his service. But the other thing is just to rejoice in how much he loves you. Because if this means anything at all, it means that he deeply loves and personally loves you. Some of you know a couple of weeks ago I did a funeral for Opal Walston's mother, Edna Scott. She basically came back from the dead two or three times over the course of several years. Well, the last time that that happened, they thought she was dying. They called the whole family in, and, 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 and she had personal time, one-on-one, -on -one with all of her, her grandchildren, and even a few of the great-grandchildren. And later on, as they discussed what Miss Edner said to each one of them, it sounded kind of strange, because this one would go in there, and she would, she would call him down and whisper her last words, and she would say, I love you. And of all the family, you're my favorite. <laughs> and then the other one would come in. And she would say, I love you so much. She says, of all the people here, she says, she says uh, you're my favorite. Well, they all huddled up as they were preparing for her to pass. And she had told every one of them <laughs> that. And she lived another six, eight months. And then we, we enjoyed telling the story. But each one of them personally knew that she cared. And if all this means anything, it means that God, even though He knows the very worst about you, He loves you to an infinite degree 
And what he's done for others, he'll do for you. I want you, I want you to rejoice in his love. Then, then the last thing is to honor him with your witness. Because if he is Lord in all these capacities, then that can only mean one thing. To him be the glory forever and ever. And I need to speak that and testify to that and live to that. Honor him with your witness. Now, last Sunday afternoon, I did a brief, very brief funeral service for a lady that I did not know. A lady from close by the Taylor family. Now, normally I do a funeral, I say a lot of personal things about the individual, but here, I didn't have anything personal. And they invited me to come in and say a few words and say a prayer and read some scripture. So I did that. I preached the gospel. Then God gave me this marvelous idea. Ask if anyone from the family would like to stand and share some personal memories. Or at least I thought it was a good idea, and it ended up being a good idea. Because there was a young lady there who we had baptized here at Glenlock, 2004-2005. Her name was Becky. She was Becca Taylor, Joel Taylor's granddaughter, for context, for those of you who remember Joel Taylor. Totally unexpected, she stood up behind the little podium there in the fellowship hall and she began to testify about her grandmother who had just died and whom we were honoring. And Becca shared a brief story that I'll share with you. She said she became pregnant uh, in her late teens. She married, she married early and they moved off from Glenlock to, of all places, uh, I think she said either New York or Washington, D.C. My memory's gone, gone bad. So she said that she was alone. Her husband was serving overseas in the military. And she had always wondered if her grandmother loved her because her grandmother never communicated verbally that she loved her. But at her deepest, darkest, loneliest, most troubled time, she received a personal letter from her grandmother. She said, my grandmother was not an educated person, so when you read through her letter, it was like putting together a puzzle. <laughs> but when I put it all together, when I needed it most, my grandmother verbally, powerfully told me that she loved me and that she was praying for me and that God would work all this right. And as that granddaughter stood and said this to the family, I thought to myself, she is honoring her grandmother for her grandmother's love at a time when she needed it the most. When people come through for you, what do you do? Hey, thank you student leaders who went to camp. You fed us well all week. Thank you. But what do you say to God who has given himself completely so that you might be forgiven and have the gift of eternal life. What do we do? We live our whole lives pointing to Him and what He's done for us. We honor Him with our witness of His love. Okay, small group, our time's over. you got two sermons today, but you don't get to take off next week. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your grace. Father, I needed this week of camp as much as any student there. 
Because you know I'm a student for life. All of us are students for life if we are disciples of Christ. Father, continue to reveal to me where I am sinning and how I need correcting. Thank you for a love and grace and patience that will never let me go. Thank you that we don't have to have all the details of our future figured out. And all the whys and all the formulas. We just need to do, Father, the next right thing. For some people that may be, as Peter talks about, to be baptized, to make a profession of faith, to to witness to this love. For others it may be to to volunteer in in some capacity of of service, be it the the food groups or helping with a ministry that we have or, or starting a ministry outside the church that is meant to disciple and grow people. Father, show us what to do next. Teach us how to make decisions. How to walk with you. Not by sight, but by faith. Put us on this new path, Father, so that we can truly be salt and light. Continue your work in us. In fact, you promised that, so we thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing. A song that we sang this week at camp. A song that many of you have sung since childhood. Vacation Bible school. All right? So we know this. It's easy to sing out there. Not quite so easy to put into practice. I've decided to follow Jesus. Please lead us.
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and thank you for this hour of worship, Lord. Thank you for the message this morning and I want to thank you for your kindness and your love and your compassion for us. Lord, I, I thank you the most for the, the Holy Spirit and Lord, I, I thank you for the gospel, for what I heard this morning, God, that uh, I need to be reminded every day, God, that you did come down and rescue us. When I, when I couldn't help myself, Lord, and I just pray that each and every one of us would live accordingly, Lord. Lord, and I just pray, Lord, as we give this morning that we would all remember what you've done for us. These things I ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Please stand for our benediction. Don't forget, we've announced Deacon's Meeting at 5, Conference at 6. I know the students are going to meet tonight and uh, discuss camp. And choir is practicing at 5. So, opportunities ahead.
Catherine, would you lead us in our band?